according to numerous religious polling organizations, people who are looking for a church are looking for the following kinds of things. According to the polls, they're looking for a ba those who are looking. <laughs> let, me, let me make sure I get that clear. There are a lot of people who aren't looking, and they're not interested in any of these things. But those who are, are looking for Bible-based inspirational preaching that is relevant to the issues people are wrestling with in their life. They want to know, this is going on in my life. These are the issues of my life. Does God speak to them? They're looking for music that includes the great hymns and contemporary praise songs that lift the heart. They're looking for friendly people who create a welcoming church environment. Used to say out on that board up front, the friendly singing church. Remember that, Jeff? The friendly singing church? I think we still are. And they're looking for ministries that are age and gender appropriate. Ministries for kids, ministries for men, ministries for women. I think we cover all of those bases. They're looking for uh, an experience of worship that puts them in touch with God. While these are valid criteria, I have a different question this morning. My question is, what, what's God looking for in a church? Put it the other way, what is God looking for? Because I have a feeling if we satisfy the things that God's looking for in a church, we'll satisfy the hearts of those who are seriously, earnestly looking for a church. Let's go to our text this morning, Ephesians chapter 3. That's the whole chapter. Ephesians chapter 3. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you've heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given to me, you ordered, how that revelation, by revelation, he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I was made minister. Can you imagine? Looking for a minister? Looking for the right credentials? Somebody who can check off all the boxes? How about Paul? Does he check off all the right boxes? Are you looking for a murderer, by the way? Don't look at me. <laughs> If you're looking for somebody who was a state-sponsored terrorist, somebody who hated Christians, you know, when, when Paul got saved and he started ministering in various churches, you know what happened? They didn't welcome him at all. They were frightened to death that this was still the same tyrant who was, who was months or years ago trying to kill him. Some credentials. But Jesus changed his heart. And when he did, he made a great contribution, obviously, in these epistles. Verse 8, unto me who am less than least of all saints is this grace given, and I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery from which, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. 
according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by faith. When we pray, we have boldness, we have access. We have access to the creator of the universe. Think of that. Does that boggle your mind and your imagination? Does me. Verse 13, wherefore I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you be rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which is passive knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to, exceeding, to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh on, in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Christ, all things are possible. It's possible for God to change you. It's possible for God to change me. It's possible for God to raise up a church which represents him as ambassadors to every place they put their foot. That's you. What's God looking for in the church? Well, verses 1 to 7, in times like these, he's looking for a church faithful to the word of God. As Jesus evaluates seven churches in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, he cites the Philadelphia church in Revelation 3, 8. And here's what he says about them. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. This church was exemplary because they didn't throw this book away. They didn't allow the truth to be adulterated by those who were coming into the church with another gospel. They were faithful to the words of Scripture. God's looking for a church whose preaching, teachings, and ministry have the Bible as their foundation. A church where the pastor, the leaders, and the congregation believe the Bible. That doesn't sound too complicated, does it? I mean, that doesn't seem like a very high bar, that if you're going to stand behind a sacred desk like this, you're going to believe the Bible? Well, what do you believe about the Bible? I believe what the Bible says about itself, that it was inspired, that it was God-breathed, that he spoke through men, and then he, he, he articulated those words that would sound like Luke, Luke wrote it or sound like Paul wrote it or sound like Matthew wrote it, but God spoke through them. And in so doing, he wrote a book that doesn't have any errors. There's no errors, there's no lies, there's no mistakes. I believe what this book says to you. Not only did God inspire, not only did God write a book, but he preserved it. How is it that we can have this book 2,000 years after those writers came along and we can read what they wrote in our own language? And we can know that what we're reading is the truth. Do you know what the truth is when you turn on the TV anymore? Are, are you sure that the news media that you're watching is telling you the truth? I don't, I, I'm so confused. One, one commentator says this. The other commentator says that. They contradict one another. 
I don't know what's true anymore in terms of politics, in terms of social issues, but I know what truth is. I got it right here. Amen? You can count on that. A church where the pastor and the leaders are and the congregation have a biblical worldview. We look at social issues. We look at the issues of our time through the lens of Scripture. We understand what's right and wrong because the world is confused about what's right or wrong. In fact, the world doesn't even believe there's such a thing as right and wrong. But we know there is such a thing as truth. We know there is such a thing as right or wrong. And that you would assume that's true of every church. But Barna Research, one of the, one of the, uh, one of the groups that really focuses on religious institutions, 51% of those polled churches and, and individual Christians do not have a biblical worldview. It's more than half, a little more than half. So that means if we divide it right down this line, if I divided this half from this half, half of you have a Bible, a, a, a biblical worldview, the other half don't. That's a scary proposition, isn't it? A church where the Bible is authority, the authority, sola scriptura, the Bible alone. This what separated the early brethren from those who didn't believe the Bible. They believed what the church taught. Believe the Bible. We don't, we, don't, we don't have as our authority commentaries, scholars, pastors, denomination. We believe the book. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Book hasn't changed. So if the book hasn't changed, meanwhile, I hear a lot of people have changed. Revelation 3, 4 says, let God be true and every man a liar. That's pretty strong, isn't it? Let God be true and every man a liar. A man is wrong when he contradicts the Bible. A man is wrong when he corrects the Bible. A man is wrong when he takes verses out of the Bible. Is anybody taking verses out of the Bible? You better believe it. Not only are they taking verses out of the Bible, words out of the Bible, they're just taking whole chapters out of the Bible. A man is wrong when he rejects God's word. John 14, 6, I am the way, truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. I've heard people weasel around that. Do you really believe there's no other way to God but Jesus Christ? Do you really? Yes, I really believe it. Why? Because I don't think Jesus is lying to me. Do you? I think Jesus is telling the truth because Jesus is the truth teller. Now, when you tell me, do I really believe that? The answer is yes, I believe the Bible and I believe what Jesus said. Obviously, some things are subject to interpretation. Some things need more context than other things. I don't think that does. I don't think that's too complicated. I don't think I need a new version that puts it in plain English. When what does it say? Jesus said, I, I got that. Am, I got that. The, I got that. I am the way, I got it. The truth, I got it. The life, I got it. And no man comes unto the Father but by me. It's almost monosyllabic. The church conforms to the word, not the world. Men do not reject the Bible because they think it contradicts itself, but because it contradicts them. I can't tell you how many people said to me over the years that I've been sharing the gospel with people at work and whatnot. 
Well, the Bible is filled with uh, contradictions. I said, okay, give me three. Well, uh, to quote a very famous TV personality, habita, habita, habita. Yeah. No, you can't find three? Okay, give me one contradiction in the Bible. No. You know what's happening there? I've often said it. People are saying what they heard somebody else say. Nothing they came up with. Nothing they, they didn't research the Bible to find three or two or one contradiction. They just said it contradicts you. Verse 9, in times like these, God's looking for a church focused on evangelism. Verse 9, Paul said he was commissioned to make all men see Christ. Now, Jesus said in Mark 16, 15, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. Some religions seek to make converts at the point of a sword. Some by government sponsorship and control. Biblical Christians present Christ to the world by show and tell. You are the most potent means and method of evangelism. When you speak to your neighbor, when you speak to your family, when you speak to the people in your sphere of influence and they've watched you and they've seen how you conduct your life, they've seen how your life has gone on in the good times and how you've handled the perilous, difficult times. They've seen you in your joys and in your tears, and in so doing, you represented Jesus. And they said there's something different about him or her. Evangelism is not the work of professional evangelists, theologians, or the minister. The work of every believer is, introduce, is to introduce family, friends, neighbors, and co-workers to Jesus. We can't save anybody. I, I, know, I don't know where some people got that idea. That, that by telling, they expect everybody to get saved or that they could save them. You can't save anybody. All you can do is tell them and demonstrate by your life who Jesus is and what he's done for you. We let the Holy Spirit do his work. We do our part. The Holy Spirit does his part. The walls of heaven are expanded and the church grows. Acts 2.47 and the Lord added to the church daily. Churches grow when congregations pray for growth. Are you praying for the growth of our congregation? Churches grow when congregations desire to grow. Do we desire to grow? Churches grow when the church has a vision for growth. And churches go grow when the Holy Spirit is at work. So let me tell you a story I've told the congregation on more than one occasion. I was, at, I was uh, conducting revival meetings out in Pennsylvania, and I did not know going in, it was like for four days, I did not know going in that there was trouble in that congregation. Sunday night, the, the second sermon I was to preach was about conflict resolution. Now, I didn't know. But the Lord laid on my heart, I want you to preach about conflict resolution. Matthew chapter 18. I'm going to cover that in a minute. So I said, I don't know why. I'll do it. And this was a very large church, and a lot of people came out Sunday night, and I was preaching what the old brethren used to call on the level. And on the level means they had a center aisle, and there I stuck myself right in the center aisle with a podium and a microphone, and I was just preaching to the folks, and I was going up and down the aisles. It was all spirit-led. And I got to the place where I was talking about how to resolve conflict, and I was talking about 
we'd have to pray together at the end of this service and the end of the sermon and uh, let the Holy Spirit lead to resolve any conflict in your heart with anybody. I was thinking, you know, 10, 15, maybe 20 people out of this large group. So I said, okay, I'm going to turn around and go back up to the platform. And when I do, those of you who would like to pray with me, please follow me. And I went up and I, and I climbed those steps and I turned around and the entire congregation was behind me. All came forward. There were so many people out there that were coming up the steps. Tears and crying. Well, what happened? They were at odds with their pastor. The board was at odds with the pastor and the pastor with the board. Why? Because he had a vision. They had talked about wanting to grow. And there was a trailer community a couple of miles down their road. And the pastor was diligently going to that place during the week, ministering to people, praying with people, encouraging people, and those people started coming, onesies and twosies and more than that. And eventually there was a whole bunch of them. And you know what? The congregation was not happy because yes, they wanted growth. Yes, they wanted to see people, not those people. What a corrupt heart. Well, things got straightened out that night, and there were still some problems, but I understood that that church had turned around. So many are content with the status quo. That's not how life works. Either you grow or you die. Ephesians 4, 14, and 15 challenge the believer to grow up onto, into him in all things. Healthy Christians grow. They grow by virtue of their time alone with God in prayer and Bible study. They grow when they become part of a family of the faithful who bring glory to God. In a day and age in which people are hesitant to make commitments, and you see that a lot. You know, I understand that of all the people who used to work before COVID, how many people have gone back to work now that it's quote-unquote over? Only 40%. 60% are still whatever they're doing. How is that supposed to work? And you look around in our congregation, and I hear from other people, uh, other pastors too, a lot of people haven't come back to church. In a day and age when people are hesitant to make commitments, God calls the believer to be an active participant in the church, to use their gifts. We have many ministries of outreach to our congregation, to the hurting and hungry, and those who don't know Christ as Lord and Savior. Those ministries are supported lovingly by you. You reach out beyond yourselves. We have folks who are still giving meals. We have folks who want to help, help people to get to church and whatnot. We've got folks who are part of our online ministry, such as Mike Cruz and Maria Bradford. They are enable us with God's help and your prayers to reach the world for Christ. They're using their giftedness, just as you are using yours. Verses 14 to 21, the church is a training ground and a proving ground for the believer. The church is where God speaks to us as a family. The church is where we learn to work out our salvation, working through our issues, our doubts, biases, and differences. If you have issues, this is where you work them out. When you take communion, that's where you work them out. When you have doubts in your own salvation, this is where you work them out. You go to the pastor, you get, you get some help. The church is where we learn to be cheerleaders, coaches, caregivers, bridge builders, not nitpickers and gossipers. The church is where we learn we can accomplish more together for the kingdom of Christ than we ever could alone. 
by working together faithfully. This ministry does not operate on the basis of one person. It's on the basis of many people, and you are part of that many. What does it mean to be faithful? Hebrews 10.25, forsaking not the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approach. As we come closer to the day of rapture, God is opening doors which enable us to reach beyond the walls of this meeting house, to reach those who don't know Christ around the world, and to nurture the believers who are shut-ins or sick or who don't have a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church in their area preaching the gospel. You know, Billy Graham, my hero, this is going to sound weird, but Billy Graham and Roy Rogers were my heroes when I was a kid. Put them together and what do you got? Faithful, faithful means to possess a heartfelt desire to take up Jesus' great commission. The great commission is what? Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. We're going into all the world to preach the gospel right now. You're making that possible. And so many of the tech team are doing that. To preach the gospel to the four corners of the world. Faithful means praying for one another and the ministries of Amwell. Philippians 1.4 says, Always in every prayer of mine, for you all making great requests with joy. Faithful means serving Christ by loving service to others. Matthew 25, verse 40. Then shall he answer and say, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. When you reach down and help somebody, help a brother who's hurting, Help a brother who is doubting. Help a brother who is confused. Help a brother who has sinned. Help a brother who just kind of lost. And you pray for them. A wonderful thing that comes to me from time to time is when I hear that you are praying for me. When you tell me you are praying for me. I know what you tell me when I tell you I'm praying for you. You tell me that you feel real good about it. It, it encourages you. Well, your prayers encourage me. Our prayers for one another are encouraging to one another. Someone said the church is the only institution on earth that exists for the benefit of non-members. In other words, we're doing this for everybody in the world. Faithful is further defined in Proverbs 3.9. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with thy first fruit of thine increase, not our leftovers. When we eat out, most of us expect to tip a server 15 or 20%. When the Bible instructs people to give 10% as a minimal church offering, they are horrified. Faithful means submission to God. James 4, 7, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from thee. As we submit to the Holy Spirit, we learn not to submit to fear, hate, despair, jealousy, sin, and Satan. It's a process. You see, I haven't made it yet. Of course you haven't made it. You've still got more time on the clock. Keep working at it. Work out your salvation, the Bible says. We've got miles to go before we sleep, amen? This is a process. It's a life's journey. You're going to be able to tackle the things in your life one after the other. One giant comes down after the other, it seems. What happens when the system breaks down? And in our flesh, we open the door to the church, to our dark side, to our anger, to our hostility, to gossip, to negativity, to judging one another, 
mean-spiritedness, sin, and conflict. Galatians 6, 1 says this, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. That word restores means to bring somebody back. When a brother is at the end of his rope, we restore them. We help to bring them back where they're in a strong place. We don't just drop them and dump them and move on from there. When conflict, when conflict arises, which can and does happen in every family, every business, every institution, in every church, Jesus provided conflict resolution. This is what I was talking about. So listen to the words of Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 17. Moreover, that thy brother shall trespass against thee, anything go wrong, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone, and if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee two or three more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear, hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen and as a publican. So what's the outline? The outline, and, and believe me, I've used it in business. And when I've gone to sessions on conflict resolution uh, held by the American Management Association, you know what I found out? They're plagiarizing. They're taking Jesus outright and they're making money on it. So here it is for free. Step number one, when there is a problem with you, with somebody inside this church or at home, step number one, talk to them. People are not mind readers. They're not going to know that you're upset with something because you haven't told them. Go and talk. Second, if that doesn't work, try again. Bring one or two trusted brothers and sisters in Christ. As, as, as a pastor and deacons, what we do is we give an opportunity for the people to talk to one another. If it isn't working, then we assign one of ourselves, the three of us, to go and start to get the system, system back into place, that people start talking to one another. And if that doesn't work, if those efforts don't work, you walk away. But you keep praying. A perfect church. No. Charles Spurgeon wrote, quote, the day we find the perfect church, it becomes imperfect the moment we join it. God is not looking for the perfect church. He's looking for a spirit-filled church. What are the marks of a spirit-filled church? Biblical teaching, loving fellowship, living worship, and ongoing and outgoing evangelism. You're the perfect church in that regard. If you reach out beyond yourself and share Jesus with people, I pray God's blessing upon you for this July 4th. Let's pray. Father, this morning we thank you for the privilege that we have to be in Christ. We pray this morning that we would be looking for ways to reach beyond ourselves and reach out to family, friends, and others with the gospel. We pray, Lord, that some would come to hear Jesus and come to know him. All these things we pray in his name. Amen.